You're listening to NFT 365, the first daily podcast on NFTs with your host, Fanzo, talking crypto, blockchain, Web3, non-fungible tokens, metaverse, and what the f*** is a non-fungible token? We'll get to that. It's time for today's episode of NFT 365, the only daily NFT podcast minting an NFT every day for 365 days. Powered by the ADHD coin at rally.io, here's your host and digital futurist, the ADHD superpowered Brian Fenzo. This show is not financial advice, so do your own damn research. What's up, friends? Welcome back to another episode of NFT365. And I'm not sure if you're a stop, collaborate, and listen fan or a stop in the name of love fan, but we're going to talk about why I'm telling you to stop. Please do not create your own NFT project. I'll give a little bit more of those details uh, here coming up. Uh, first off, we are sponsored by Crypto Business Conference. It is the conference for marketers, entrepreneurs, creators to level up their education on all things Web3 and NFTs. And for our featured NFT Mint 365, I decided to go back into like the Wayback Machine just a little bit, not not too far, back to uh, the the 21st of April, or like most of us like to refer to it, the day after the puff, puff, puff past holiday um, in April and talk about Beatheads. Now, Beatheads is a project I've mentioned a couple times on the podcast. Uh, it was founded by uh, Phil, who is an artist, and Aloe Black. Uh, he was a music- musician, and they actually teamed up with uh, Crypto.com. And, and Crypto.com is actually where we minted the NFT for yesterday for our collection. But what I thought they've done really interestingly was you know, one of the trends that Crypto.com is doing with their NFT drops is that they have a time limit on when the mint is available, right? 24 hours, 48 hours. And the the way that they kind of present that is that they have what they rec- what they call redeemables. So if you are one that actually mints the original one or redeems that original uh, NFT, you then qualify for some of their giveaways. So it's incentivizing you to kind of jump in there. But a lot of them are using like kind of gift cards. And like the question came up recently, um, actually in one of our uh, the Instagram lives that I've done, came up about, you know, like what are the difference between social tokens and NFTs and how you can use them? Well, some collections just airdrop you a random NFT uh, into your wallet. And I will tell you that doesn't really do much for me unless maybe it's uh, a an artist, right? Maybe it's a one of one collection. I could see that being valuable, but what Beatheads has done really cool. And I actually, for those that are watching on video, I'll be able to show you is that they've done exclusive, like uh, kind of outside of their collection, they've done drops, NFT drops. But what is neat about it is they come in different sizes. So there's one drop that has, you know, um, 500, a second drop that has 250 in it, a third drop that has like 50, and then one that has like 25 or 37 or whatever it may be. And what that does is that, you know, hey, if if you're randomly, you know, are unlucky and you have one of the 500, then it's not very rare and, you know, it's not that much, you know, collectible and you didn't lose anything. But if you get lucky in that random draw and you get one of the more exclusive ones, then that NFT is worth something, right? Worth value because there's only like 37 of them out in the, in the wild. And it kind of, you know, it adds like a little, you know, incentive. It also gives you motivation to hold. And so far since, you know, um, for 421, 
Um, we've actually been airdropped three uh, NFTs from this collection. Um, one of them is a, a hippie one, which is pretty cool. Uh, another one was Prince. And another one was uh, the great notorious B.I.G., better known as Biggie Smalls. And what was neat was, you know, the first one we got was just in the 500 collection. It's not very rare. The Prince one we got is actually only one of 37. So it's a very rare one. So we've been getting offers for it. And the interesting thing is the offers for that one have actually been higher than the mint price originally was for when we minted the NFT originally. See what I'm saying there? So technically I could sell that Prince airdrop that we got for holding it. And I would actually be already in the plus and still be holding the NFT that I bought. So that's another like kind of incentive and motivation. I think it's great for rewarding you know, your loyal fans. As most of you know, you know, I am a huge believer in that 1,000 true fan model or what I like to call the 1,093 true fans model. But uh, yeah, I just want to give a shout out to um, not only Beatheads, but you know the Crypto.com platform. I really like the way that they're doing their launch database, their launch dashboard, as well as when you anything on Crypto.com, it pops up and it says you can use crypto, like any cryptocurrency, fiat, which for those that aren't familiar with what fiat is, fiat is just the universal word for currency, right? So rather than saying like USD or Canadian or you know rupees or whatever it may be, fiat is non-crypto you know, uh, currency. And then you can also buy, so you can buy it from you know, cryptocurrency in your MetaMask, you can buy it in fiat, or you can buy it in the, the money that, or the crypto that is already in your crypto.com wallet. And so I really like that they have that kind of variety of purchasing. So if you want people that maybe it's their first NFT and they don't have a wallet yet, they can buy it with a credit card. Um, if you want to, you know, kind of play into the Web3 natives, then you can, you know, sell it with cryptocurrency on Meta, uh, you know, MetaMask. And they're not really, they're, that, that adds a lot um, less kind of uh, restraints that some of these other marketplaces, you know, are putting on their collections. All right, so let's jump into... You know, I teased out, you know, we have the uh, stop, collaborate, and listen, or we have the uh, stop in the name of love. But part of the, the thing that I think is so interesting about this beautiful NFT space and what we have kind of at our disposal is that anything is possible. I, I firmly believe that NFTs are going to disrupt everything from the supply chain so that we would be able to track and manage where things are at in the world as they're kind of being uh, you know, per, you know, manufactured. We're going to be able to see that all transparently in the blockchain. You know, we, this whole like, you know, fake supply and demand that retailers make, you know, there's only this many uh, you know, iPhones available. Uh, no, I can look on the blockchain and tell you how many iPhones have come out of where that, wherever that may be. We're also going to see, you know, NFTs be implemented, of course, um, in ways that allow us to store data, right? Like our, our uh, marriage certificate or driver's license or passport even. And then, you know, we're also going to see it in ways to really facilitate, um, you know, conversations and movements, right? We, uh, you know, big shout out to the, uh, the Choice DAO, which is one of the projects that was on our podcast recently. You know, they're raising, um, you know, funds. Uh, for uh, right, for women reproductive rights, and I I think there's so many use cases that one of the things that has actually kind of surprised me because I will tell you most of my career like most of my career I was the press the damn button guy 
Like literally, that's what, I mean, I've given that keynote a bunch. I still give the keynote because we still need people that need to embrace and, and understand the importance of telling their story and putting their, their selves out there and, and just getting over the hump. Like you don't know what works until you try it. Press the damn button. And I've always been a big believer on trying to get people to become more creative and, and tell their stories and um, embrace you know, who they are and take on the world. But you notice this episode says stop. Now, I'm not telling you to stop pressing the damn button. I'm just going to ask you to press a different button first. I believe in the NFT space, the ahas that many of us get to come into this space is actually not through, you know, like, hey, I want a lazy lion. Or, you know, I, I see that lion on Twitter. Or, I, you know, I hear these, all these people talking, um, you know, about bored apes or these goblins that are eating burgers. But I believe the actual majority of people, the, the aha comes either in you buy an NFT and then you experience this community and connection, or the aha comes when you hear a use case and you're like, oh my goodness, I need to launch my own NFT project. That, 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 that's exactly what I can do for my community and for my people. And when I say stop, the reason that I'm doubling down on saying stop and be a and 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 kind of you know listen to this episode is that here's the truth and I've been preaching it a lot but I, I believed it needs a whole ed- uh, episode because I'm gonna really dial into it a little bit more than I have in the past. I believe every single person must I'm gonna use the word must must be a collector before they are a creator. Now that's not just for the vanity thing. You know, I heard somebody else mention something like this and they're like, it's cause you need to learn the vernacular and the vocab of the space. I can sure as hell learn what wag me means and what, you know, uh, you know, like what rug pull means without having to own an NFT. The reason I personally believe that you should be a NFT collector or investor, however you want to look at that before you are an NFT creator is because a lot of the ahas that, that you experience, right? The first time your, your art reveals, the first time that you try to post an NFT for sale and you realize that you have to you know, click some additional buttons, the first time someone makes you an offer in Weath, which is wrapped Ethereum, right? The first time that you realize that you can connect your wallet to multiple different marketplaces and your NFTs sometimes show up differently depending on where you're looking at it, right? It'll look a little different if you're on uh, looks rare or Coinbase NFT compared to if you're on uh, you know, OpenSea or uh, let's even say GameStop's NFT platform. The other component of being a collector before you are a creator is here's the big truth of this. A lot of what we've heard and what has worked in the past not only is over and no longer works, but it gives people a false sense of like what's required, what's even possible, and the amount of time, dedication, and really understanding you need to have in every nuance of this space. Now, I don't believe, just to caveat this, that you must be an expert in everything NFTs. Like, let's be very clear. I don't believe the reason you need to be a collector is to be an an expert. And I don't really like the word expert, right? It kind of falls in my perfection as a fairy tale role. Like, I don't need you to be an expert. I don't need you to believe you know everything or believe you are the top 1% or believe that you are smarter than everyone else in the room. 
But what I do believe we need to have as NFT creators is we have to understand, like, how does utility show up? What is the onboarding experience? What is that first feeling I get into a Discord that just launches? What is that feeling when, when you know, I change my profile photo to my collection? And now there's lots of like the technical things that you're going to realize, like some backgrounds don't work very well um, in NFT art for a profile photo. Some art, you know, some of the properties in your art might get cut off, but you might be saying, Brian, well, I don't need to be a collector. I just need to hire an artist or I need to understand the, you know, the scope of the, of the uh, canvas that I'm working on. Touche. Yes, that, that might be true. But the other part of this that, that I think is, is, is equally important is you also, when you become a collector of an NFT, you almost have this like you, you're entering a new world and you kind of feel this need to share it out publicly, right? Like, and I mean, you might be listening. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably already agree with this, right? Like you probably might've even got in this space. And you're like, I'm going to see what it's about. But I'm not really, you know, NFTs aren't for me. I don't really like digital art. I'm not a gamer. Crypto bros are annoying. I agree, by the way. Um, but you get in and all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait, this is online. This is community. I'm connecting with like-minded people that are passionate about the things that I like. Wait, I can ask questions and it's a very welcoming community and people are very giving and open and they're trying to you know, protect each other and we're sharing security best practices. Well, you get that feeling, and here's what happens. Here's what happens. You post about it, or you talk about it at dinner, or you post about it on Facebook or Instagram, and all of a sudden your friends are like, wait, you're into those scams as well? Like, you're into that Ponzi scheme of NFTs? Like, you're telling me that you just paid all that money for something that I can take a screenshot of? And the reason I say that is, it's important to go through all these conversations, right? Because now... You have to say to whoever is telling you that, what was your reason for buying the NFT? What was your reason for sharing it? What's the experience that you're getting? Now, the funny part about this is that I'm going to challenge, if you know a friend that has a Bored Ape Yacht Club or really anything in the Bored Ape family, from Bored Ape Yacht Club, Mutant Apes, The Dogs, or Other Side Land, I would love for you to ask them, what is the utility that you have been provided other than these additional NFTs for holding a board ape yacht club. And then just sit back and wait because here's the interesting thing about a lot of the biggest projects in the, in the entire space. Moonbirds, for example, right? You buy a proof collective NFT. It gives you a Moonbirds NFT. It gives you a Moonbirds oddities NFT. But when I reached out to a friend of mine today, when we were having a little discussion about NFT projects, he was like, Brian, um, I have yet to experience anything other than just getting art for my holding of this NFT. The reason I think this is all important is because a lot of our ideas from the NFT creator perspective, we want to do everything for everyone and we want to have a roadmap and a community and we're going to give exact dates and we're going to be transparent. But here's the truth. There are things within this space that allow you some freedom and also allow you the ability to add on and build as you go. I actually think the number one reason that I personally believe that you should be a collector before you are a creator is so that you can understand the managing of expectations that must happen 
from a creator to the audience, from an owner to the creator and the community. Because unlike anything else that I've ever been a part of, right? And maybe collectors, uh, you know, uh, collectibles might be the exception, right? Like when you buy a, a, a rare Beanie Baby or I, I like buy, you know, Wheaties boxes, I'm not looking for anything more. I'm not, I'm not like Googling, can I find other Wheaties box collectors? By the way, if you're a Wheaties box collector, you know, hit me up. I'd love to know what, what Wheaties boxes you have. But the reason I say that is like the collectible space might be a little bit unique, although I know a lot of people entered this space via Top Shots. I know a lot of people, like myself, I have an entire storage unit of baseball cards. Like actually, right over, right over off, off camera right now, I have an unopened 1990s uh, baseball, Major League Baseball, Don Russ uh, pack of baseball cards. None of it's been opened. The case is still sealed from 1990. Like I got a whole case of baseball cards that you know usually you go through and look at who you have. It is unopened, still sealed from 1990. I mean, what? I mean, I'm 30 years. Holy cow, I'm old. I, I forget 30. I don't know. 1990 still still feels like 15 years ago. I, I, I realize now that it's uh yeah 32 years ago. Oh my goodness. Okay, so the funny thing about that is that when we think about that, like that box that I have there, right? I the reason I didn't open it was not because I got bored or I forgot is because I knew that by keeping it you know in its original container and sealed that one day it might be worth more money now in this space in this nft space the idea of how much you can sell an nft for to me is only a small part of this entire piece of the puzzle when it comes to launching your own nft collection for example, you know, we launched uh, our NFT collection here with the podcast back on December 12th, which is all forever ago, 12-12-21. And within our collection, we have the founders and then we have the super fans. We have those two groups of people that are holding NFTs. Now, there's different level rewards with those, but also we've added different utility on, right? Originally, we came out with like two or three things that people were going to get for holding those NFTs. Since then, we've done airdrops, we've done giveaways, we've, we've welcomed them into a, a couple other projects, we've given shout-outs, we're, we're offering something cool uh, happening uh, August 1st for our, um, you know, another group of our, of our team. And, and for me, understanding some of those managing of expectations is vital. Because I think there's two mistakes that, well, there's lots of mistakes that we can make. One of them is being too broad and two out there with no real details. The flip of that is also a problem in many cases, because here's the other part of the NFT space that most people struggle to realize until you are a collector. And, I, and if you're a collector, and maybe you have you know, five or six or more NFTs, I want you to think about this for a second. Has have anyone been like, you know what? I wanted to get in this project before, and I was waiting and I wasn't sure. And all of a sudden, the, you know, the floor price started going up and more of my friends were in it. So I decided to jump into it because I was like, this project's amazing. And then all of a sudden you realize the floor price starts going down. There's some, you're behind the scenes and you're like, oh, people are questioning some things here. And all of a sudden you realize you bought the top. And for those that don't know, what buying the top means is simply you purchased it at its height, whenever the, the average price or the floor price was at its, at its highest that it's been. I have one. There's a project called Goblin Girls. A friend of mine, Jen, is the founder of it, and it took off, and I had a bunch of them. 
And I flipped them and I was like, you know what? I'm jumping back in. I love the project. I love the art. Yeah, I bought the top. I bought the heck of the top. And the reason I say like something like that is important is because what it does is it makes you check yourself, right? Because now I have to say, do I just sell it and cut my losses? Or did I jump in this project for other reasons other than what I can resell it for? I've said this over and over and over again. I have many NFTs that are in my wallet right now that have already given me more value than the price I paid for them. And I don't care if I ever sell them or if I ever make another penny. The Playboy Rabbitar, back in November, first week of November, I got to go to an exclusive Playboy party because I held a Playboy Rabbitar. I believe that Rabbitar was, I'm not even sure how much I paid for it when we minted it, but I can tell you, the Playboy Rabbitar, the Playboy experience that, we, that I attended and the fact I got to you know, be part of that community, already ROI of that project. Now, the project has a great floor. I believe the floor is like 0.18 right now, um, which is great for this you know, current market. But the reason I think this is also one of those things is that the, the last thing I want you to think about, and this is the one that you've, I can promise you, if you are not a collector, you have not thought about this one. I, I'm going to promise you that. I don't make a lot of promises here on the podcast, but I'm going to promise you that, okay? And the one that you haven't thought of is how do I empower the HODL mindset? Let me say that again. As an NFT creator, how do I empower the HODL mindset? Now, HODLing, H-O-D-L, or you know, I like to look at it as like someone like me just fat-fingered holding and then they just kind of leaned in on it. But HODL, if you, so that we've heard the, the idea that you're a paper hands, right? There are diamond hands and there are paper hands. Paper hands are people that love a project, but then as soon as the price goes down, they sell it. It, it, it drops right through their hands. Diamond hands are like, I don't care what's going on with the project. I don't care what people say. I'm locked and loader, loaded. I'm a diamond hands. Well, that HODL mindset is the, is the premise that maybe you're kind of in between a paper hands and a diamond hands, but the HODL mindset says, this is worth me holding this NFT because I'm getting these benefits or I'm getting that by holding it, I'm going to be better off than selling it. Because here's one of the things that we have to recognize. If I'm in an NFT project and I know that the next you know, live event where Steve Aoki is going to play, right? I have an, I have an Aoki, uh, Aoki verse uh, NFT. And here's the, here's the thing. If I sell it today and I can sell it for 0.25 Ethereum, right? Probably can. Because I know that there's no show that I can attend for 90 days. And then I can buy back in 90 days from now for around the same price. Why would I not do that, right? Because I'm going to sell, I'm going to have the liquidity, I'm going to play around on some other things. And then whenever I can go use it, I'm going to buy it. What the HODL mindset is, is how are you empowering people to actually hold it that entire time. Now, I mentioned that pro the project I gave a shout out to start this episode with, Beatheads, right? Beatheads is a project where a collaboration between a, a, you know, an artist and a musician that has some, not only some utility around um, music and some upcoming collaborations and, and some things that they have in their project uh, that I'm excited about, but they want you to kind of come along and they do, they do some really cool like mix-ups and they do contests um, in their Discord, but they're also airdropping me these NFTs and one of them happens to be more valuable right now than the floor price of the collection. So from the HODL mindset, they're keeping me as a HODLer 
because I know they're going to give me value and take care of me compared to someone that bought it and was like, you know what? I'm just going to wait till they drop something cool. You sell it and then you come back into it. So that idea, that premise is one of those key components that doesn't really make sense until you are a collector first. So hopefully you kind of can think about that, the value in that, you know, I will also say there's are some other components like, you know, you, the, like the, um, the dopamine hit you get when you sell your first NFT, the emotional connection that you have to a piece of art that you probably would have never expected to have the connection you have to others that are wearing the same profile photo um, as you. These are things that until you experience them, you can't understand them. And until you understand them, you can't really build and incorporate them in the actual delivery, the strategy, and most, most importantly, the adaptability of your NFT projects. Right now, every NFT creator has to be thinking, how am I building an adaptable model for what I am delivering in my NFT project. Think about NFT worlds. They were not planning for Minecraft to pull the rug out from underneath them. They didn't rug pull their community. They got rug pulled by a utility, by a, a, a platform that they were, they were building on top of, right? Think about that, right? What about some other projects that they've had things that have come up along the way? Your ability to have a strategy, manage expectations, but be adaptable is the essential recipe, your essential combo for a successful NFT launch. I, for one, know this for a fact because for many people, they've been hitting us up and they're like, when's your project coming out? What's going on? Well, I can tell you, we're building all of these different components and layers and we're also making sure that what we're delivering is the thing that I want to be you know, associated with my brand for the rest of my life. That's what I'm thinking about. I'm not thinking about three months from now, nine months from now. What I, what I am building, what I believe in is way bigger than even just me. I actually think about it from the standpoint of how cool would it be if my oldest daughter, who happens to be 12, graduates from college, maybe doesn't even go to college, and is able to join the family business, which was launched as an NFT project. That's where my mind is going, and it's because I've been a part of great projects. I've been part of some bad projects. I've been rug pulled on some projects. I've bought an NFT every day for a year. No, no, no. You don't have to do that. I actually don't recommend that. It's a bit crazy and it's a bit of a roller coaster. But with all of that being said, I hope this makes sense. If you have a friend that is hitting you up and is saying, hey, I heard you're in NFTs. Uh, I came up with an idea and I want to create my own. I suggest you send them this episode. I'm going to save you a lot of work. So if you were looking for the ROI, your return on investment for listening to NFT 365 podcast, I'm going to save you the phone call trying to talk your friend out of creating an NFT project and they've never collected an NFT before because I can promise you by the time they get here, this is where that friend's going to listen and say, oh, I better text them and say, thanks for sending me that episode. I now understand. As always, you know, as not as always, but for, we are sponsored by the Crypto Business Conference that is happening in beautiful San Diego, California in October. I mean, who doesn't want to be in beautiful uh, San Diego? And, you know, I'm excited not only to see the lineup, but, you know, there's rumors from that I've heard that it is a single track conference. So the fact that it is going to be a single track, so you are not going to be missing anything. We are all going to be experiencing the same content on stage. To me, I absolutely you know, love, I love multiple styles of events, but I'm a big fan uh, of single track. I also love uh, an event that is 
is actually at an event location. And this event is at the San Diego Convention Center, which may be just one of the busiest and best convention centers in the world. And that's my own personal opinion. I've spoken at the San Diego Convention Center probably 20 times, and it's one of my favorite venues in the entire uh, United States. So hopefully you'll check that out. It is, a, it is socialmediaexaminer.com slash NFT365. And lastly, friends, don't click on links in Twitter from project accounts. Today, Psychedelics Anonymous and their Izu project, their Twitter accounts were hacked. Now, the founder put out that there was two-factor authentication was on, that they had a 20-character password, but it was, it was an SMS, this is, and I don't know if this is true or not, uh, there's an SMS uh, two-factor authentication, which means when you log in, you get a text message. And somehow they got around it. And unfortunately, I have a plethora, favorite word, but not in this use case, of DMs from people that are like, Fanzo, I, I heard you got hacked in the past, I got hacked today and I lost my Psychedelics Anonymous. Could you help? And to me, I don't care how many times we say it, it's still going to happen. The FOMO is going to get the better of us. We're going to have that like kind of outer body moment. And we just have to realize that we just can't be clicking on those links. And we also can't be shaming people that have. I know for many of us, we live in this space all day long and we're like, we preach this. Why have they not done this? They should learn their lesson. No, no. No, we can't fall for that. We can't shame people for doing something that seemed what they wanted to join a project. They wanted to spend money on something they cared about. And unfortunately, the scammers, the hackers, the the bad people that are doing bad things, they're always going to exist. But we can't allow ourselves to make them feel worse because I can tell you, speaking from experience, it sucks. It absolutely sucks having your NFTs, NFTs taken from you and I don't want that feeling for anyone. And so I feel for those that have, that have been violated. I hope that you're able to find a way to get reimbursed. I know the founder of the project uh, tweeted out that um, he's going to uh, do his best to reimburse anyone that was compromised via you know, their Twitter hack. But not all projects are going to be able to do that. And you know, I just think we have to look out for each other and just know you're not alone. And uh, on this journey, uh, you know, bad things will happen. Bad people will do bad things. But we can't let them win. We must recognize the power of this movement, the power of NFTs, the beauty that we can all be creators. But of course, hopefully, after listening to this episode, you're a collector first. Until tomorrow, my friends, make it a great day. Cheers.